Hey, hey, what's going on? I'm excited. Oh, wow. I haven't heard that in a long time. We are back. We're back after a couple month hiatus because we were both working and uh, could not yeah. be happier to be back. I'm uh, so jazzed to have our guest. Yeah. Uh, on the occasion of his first one man show of paintings in Chicago, uh, the marvelous uh, painter actor you've seen him in about 240 different television and film roles the one and only xander berkeley welcome xander hey you guys how you liking chicago pal well i'm 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 an honorary fitz fitzpatrick now that's right to stay here in your house (laughs) we're not letting you leave i'm having a great time it's a hotel california pal we're just not letting you leave you you're a natural chicagoan well, it's been really a blast just uh, getting ready for the show, having the show, and hanging out with you guys every night. Really fun. Yeah. We're, you know, I was so curious because um, you lived in L.A. for 40 years or 41 years. 39. Yeah. Um, it was just, I was about to turn 40. I said, I got to get the fuck out. <laughs> <laughs> and you came from New York. Yeah. What was that like first coming over from New York to L.A.? Is well, that... Is that culture shock there? I was living on Riverside Drive, okay. and the wind was whipping off of the Hudson, and <laughs> it was three degrees, and it froze my ass as it blew it up to the uh, train station as I made the train to the plane, the JFK, that day uh, in February. And it was 73 degrees in, in Los Angeles when yeah. I landed at night with yeah. the Santa Ana's blowing the jasmine in the air, and it was... So sweetly scented, so warm and caressing that I thought, man, I felt like I could get used to this. And yeah. I, I, I did. <laughs> yeah. I got used to it for a very long time. But then it just seemed like it kept getting hotter and more crowded, more traffic, nastier. And, and I was, I was, and everything's my, burning up now. Mm-hmm. It's all on fire. We was, and we felt like it was about to explode into flames. Uh, the tourists were all climbing up the hill where we lived. It's just, it, everything was like sort of saying, get out. We have two daughters, nine and, and uh-huh. 13 now, that were. You know, seven and and uh, and uh, eleven. Uh, at the time, we were trying to get out of there, and we did. Mm-hmm. And it feels so good to be in. And it's cold, like in Chicago, yeah. cold. It's yeah. bitter, freaking yeah. cold. Cold, yeah. Nuns ass yeah. on Good Friday. But, but you know, we've been reading all those storybooks about the four seasons, and uh-huh. felt like a fraud in California. Like, you know, right. it's, it's it's true. There are these things. It gets snowy, and uh, yeah. And now, now, you're they in Maine see where, it. now you're in Maine where everybody talks like the Pepperidge Farm guy. Well, <laughs> yeah. they, no, I kind of was looking for more of that. It's kind of fading out like it really? is everywhere. Yeah. Regional accents are a thing of the past. No like, kidding. A lot of places. Yeah, well, not too in much Chicago. TV. Yeah. Uh, in Chicago. You still yeah, hear I agree with that. Yeah, you hear them a little bit. But the older guys, because you hang out with old The folks. older guys, yeah. yeah. Well, I, I am don't an older one. guy at this point. You don't have one. No, no. no. He's never been cursed with it. No. Yeah. He had... It's yes. You know, his mother speaks properly. Yeah, that's. <laughs> uh, thank God he's like his mother. Thank you, mom. <laughs> yeah, but um, yeah. I mean, going uh, to L.A. and and becoming an actor is a is a young man at the end of the '60s, the beginning of the '70s. You were kind of entering this, like. Well, it's again. I'm going to correct you. It was the end of the '70s, end it was of 1979. The 70s, yeah. I'm yeah. not that fucking old. Uh, no, it, <laughs> I was still growing up with my parents from the. Okay, throughout that's the right. 60s. I keep I keep forgetting you're you're only like a year or two older than yeah, me. Yeah, don't fucking make me one okay. of these real. Right. I got I got a Santa Claus beard, but under, exactly. underneath here I'm like a baby. 
Okay. Um, yeah. Well, with, with that said, do you think going to Los Angeles as a young actor today, do you think that's kind of overplayed or it's just it's something that you don't have to do anymore? Or is it still something that people well, I, should explore? Or, or I don't know. For, for me, the, the, the validity of, of going to New York to become a young actor is, is uh, I, I still think it's if, if you're serious about it, the training that you can get there and, and, and the theater experience, that's that's what I was doing. Mm hmm before going mm -hmm. to Los Angeles. And so I went to Los Angeles at, uh, having just turned 23 mm -hmm. in 1979 with uh, a, a full classical training, experimental theater training from when I was 15. Okay. And uh, I'd gone to a couple of years of college, but um, I had a, a father that was an artist. We'll get to mm -hmm. that, I'm sure, at mm -hmm. some point, and, and supported me as an artist and, and uh, came and saw me at a play in, in college and... Uh, is remarkably was an advantage I, I credit more than almost anything else for my success as an actor because it's such a hard and competitive field to begin with that if you're fighting against the support of your father or your parents yeah. in general you're you're dealing with a whole other set of uh, I think odds against tell you. me about yeah. it <laughs> you know so but he he saw me in a play I, I played Malvolio on Twelfth Night in in uh, my second year of college at Mount Holyoke I went to Hampshire College you could take classes or do uh -huh. plays at Smith Mount Holyoke Amherst or UMass if you went to Hampshire at any one of those schools because they had a, a collective program. Yeah. And um, and uh, he he saw what I did with Malvolio and said, "Man, I, I just want to say um, I saw tonight." Uh, and he listed the qualities that he saw mm -hmm. in terms of potentials as an actor, um, and said, I, "I can't imagine what else uh, somebody would need to make a go at this." And so, if you want to stay here and get a degree, if you want to go to New York, if you want to go to London, I, I just I support you 100%. We didn't have it. We did not have, though. Uh -huh. My parents were interesting bohemians who had yeah. really They were gone, like hippies. Yeah. They were like beatnik hippies. Well, they were pre that. They were in the 40s, though. They had gone on a spiritual journey, and, and they had, you know, they definitely. Were seekers. They were seekers. Yeah. And, and they so they had left the left-handed path and gone in a, a different way and uh, and uh, or maybe left the right-handed path. Yeah. I forget and then gone to the left and <laughs> uh, and gone into a, a deep search in life and and so when they finally like my mother who was older than my father said well we didn't have any business having she was from Texas we didn't have any business we didn't have two sticks to rub together mm -hmm. um, and so they did rub two sticks together to, a to get us obviously and mm -hmm. then to b to uh, support us uh, my mother became a school teacher and and my father was a uh, was an artist who became the head of the art department eventually for a publishing company down the line um going from an illustrator to an art director to becoming and uh but so he they kind yeah. of sacrificed everything to just get us where we could go to college and it was always yeah. assumed that i was going to go to college that and, support from your folks though is just so vital um the first time i ever saw him on stage at second city i thought he's got comic timing i i would kill for yeah. you know yeah and i just knew he was you know he's he's the second generation is that just going to be so much better than me that well um, we'll, 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 <clears throat> we'll, we'll see we'll see what happens but i i'd have to agree because i mean i think you know he didn't have 100 percent support from his parents there i mean your mom well, was my very, mom always but not very uh, my father was, was like, uh, on the fence an at best yeah you know? yeah, yeah. 
And I, 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 I remember the day we were driving. I, I told him, I said, look, the only thing I'm going to do is draw pictures. Right. And he pulled over. And, you know, he raised eight kids. He, was, he only understood work. And he looked at me and he pointed at me. He goes, okay, if that's the deal, not one step backwards. And I looked at that as uh, getting his permission. Yeah. You know? In a way, yeah. Right? yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting to use the word vocation. That was the one thing my father said somewhere pretty early on, even before I'd gone to college, was, I think it was a Robert Frost quote, make your vocation your avocation, yeah. your avocation your vocation, do what you love to do, and then everything else will fall into place. And <clears throat> if you have something to support it, and he always knew that I could support myself, because he was an art director, yeah. as an illustrator. And I had those chops yeah. from yeah. high school. And, from early on, yeah, I mean, from yeah. from childhood, really. Yeah, and he's always given us art supplies uh-huh. and stuff to muck around with. But then to see that in the in the theater, which I'd already started doing plays in high school, I was sort of adopted by an experimental theater company when I was in high school. I uh-huh. was their little mascot, and I got to do a lot of really fun roles, you know, Lorca and wow, Jean- all through high school. Um, Did you get to do the Genet and the Beckett? Yeah, I did really? Janae and Beckett, all that in Man, high school. Man, what a valuable, it was incredible. Uh, what a valuable thing to have under your belt in high school. Yeah, no, it was spectacular. And so, I, when I went to college, <clears throat> because it, there was always a kind of, you're going to go, not just get a degree, you're going to get advanced degrees. My mother wanted me to <laughs> yeah, be something yeah. more than an. A guy with a tweed jacket, you yeah, know? At, at least a couple of tweed jackets with, yeah. with the patches <laughs> on the elbows, you know? Schmott. If you want to be, be a diplomat or something significant in life. And, uh, you don't want to be Fredo. You don't no. want to be smart. I'm smart. <laughs> but so that's why it, to, to be offered an alternative and to not have to go. I, I went to New York instead of staying on to get a degree. Because uh-huh. his, his approval was the only <clears throat> degree I, I needed. And, yeah, uh, amen. And in New York at that time, you didn't need a lot of that. So I, I stretched that support out over three years, and I still didn't spend close to what I would have spent if I'd gone to to college to get a finish. Mm-hmm. And uh, I did a bunch of plays. I, I studied with you know a woman who taught at the Royal Academy of Dramatic Arts for 25 years privately, and I studied with a, another woman that had been to the Moscow Art Theater for 10 years and and so there were all these private classes as well as hb studios and doing movement and voice and i did this compacted study there and then started doing plays and then i did a play um and an agent saw me and took me to the west coast and that's that's what brought me out there at that time got a good ride up in times and so he went okay you're coming with me you got moved from the east coast one of my favorite stories of somebody going to Los Angeles and always the possibility is when they drafted Magic Johnson and he made uh, his then agent stopped the car and he ran into somebody's front yard and he grabbed a couple of oranges off the tree. He's like, food grows on trees out here. Yeah. You know, this is a guy yeah. who's from the inner city. I mean, I, yeah. I, I get what people love about LA. The idea of it's all possible. That's how I felt when I went to New York as a young artist. I thought, it can all happen here. I had uh, cousins uh, in California, and I had uh, and I read Steinbeck, and my grandmother, uh, who lived with us, had had magical years in her life in California. So I had a huge California fantasy, yeah, that I needed to fulfill. 
in a way. That was part of, I knew that was going to be part of my journey was going west, young man. Yeah. And so the, the combining of that and the excitement of it being, and, and, and I had been, uh, it had been dawning on me as much as I loved the theater, that it was going in that direction of these reboots of, <sighs> bless you, um, big, fantastic musical, uh, you know, reboots of old, musicals and and, uh-huh. and even new musicals but you know, Broadway is going to become like you know, I like uh, plays and yeah I, I like the you know and, the, and the, just you'd go in New York you'd sit there and there were a thousand people auditioning you'd be signing up and you were 940 yeah, if yeah. you didn't get there at the crack of dawn and and there'd be all these guys with their little bag and their dance boots you know their yeah, dance yeah. shoes and their tights and everything because they were going to the go, go to the next audition after that and I wasn't a dance bag guy, and yeah. you know I'd been a jock when I was a kid, and I had no judgment of it. But it just that wasn't how that wasn't the show business I wanted. Yeah, and mm-hmm. and and um, you know doing my own stunts was much more my yeah, I, it, and and the intimacy of film acting and yeah. the, the minutia of film acting was Camera much more sees everything. Yeah, that yeah. and and you didn't have to shout and bellow to be heard. Mm-hmm. In the back row, mm-hmm. in the, the, more and more in, in bigger theaters, just having to talk to somebody who was right next to you by shouting at them is before miking. And I don't like miking in the theater. I don't either, man. It bugs me. I hate seeing yeah. it. I don't yeah. like the sound yeah. of it. Right. Yeah. So it, it, it was. Or like, you know what you notice now? Or sometimes older actors with the earpiece, with the earwig in there, because they're not completely off book. Really? Yeah. Oh, I've, seen it, I've whoa, seen it twice. Whoa. I've seen it twice. That's crazy. I'm not going to name the actors because, you know. <laughs> um, you have class. Know, but, I mean, names <laughs> names you would know, you know. Um, <laughs> yeah. you, you worked with one of them. You're um, going to tell me then. You're not going to tell me right now. Uh, you will tell. I will tell you. <laughs> yeah, I will tell you, you know. Uh, but, you know, Max went to Santa Monica, Um when his path was, he he wanted to be a filmmaker. Yeah, to, yeah, uh, and I still I still have those filmmaking dreams, but I I came in with really no plan, no no idea of what I wanted to do, and I think if you start out in so, somewhere that's not going to help you, which in this case the community college I went to offered no film classes, offered really n- no art classes, really. I, I think maybe art history at best. And I realized that I was like somewhere entirely out of my element, which I liked, but not having anything to study or be interested in was really, oh, it was just dreadful. You know, to answer your question from before, I still think just in terms of the number of rooms you can walk in and the number of people you can meet that can hire you for a job as an actor Mm -hmm. in Los Angeles, you're still you're still way ahead of the curve mm-hmm. than anywhere else. But you, okay. you, you got to also realize you're competing with this insane number of people. So right. you, it's good to go there with some head of steam in terms of whether you're a Chicago actor or a New York mm-hmm. actor. Yeah, yeah. It's good to come, I think, with theater experience and training. Yeah. Um, well, you don't know. What's different about Chicago now is there are loads of opportunities here. Yeah. There are three major television shows shooting here every yeah. single week, plus tons and tons of features. They're expanding Cinestage from 16th Street all the way to 35th Street, building sound stages. Yeah, I'm going down. That's where I'm going. Yeah. That's what I was 
yeah, going to yeah, offer yeah. Gabby if she wants to get in the door just to see things over there. Um, yeah, it, it's it's amazing how it's exploded in the last I'm ten years. To see it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, you could you can make a living uh, living in Chicago as a film actor, and whereas ten years ago that probably was not possible. Yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. And, and now it is. So, I mean, I think it's both. You, you can you can have more opportunities if you go to Los Angeles, but you, there yeah. are opportunities outside of Los Angeles that there never were yeah. before. Well, Atlanta. Right. Yeah. Now. We yeah. were talking about Atlanta. You were you, you did The Walking Dead for three years in Atlanta, correct? Yeah, over the course of four. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> and it's uh, and I'd done two movies the years two two years prior to that. So over the last six years, I've been. And I just did a show there uh, this past year. So, I mean, I'm always so in Atlanta. There's so much production that is now just not centered in the family store, which used to be Los Angeles until, God, until at least uh, 1990. It was pretty much done, all done in L.A. Well, uh, you know? even up until as late as 2008, over really? 80% of all film took place in Los in Angeles. Los Angeles. Right. Yeah, and then after two thousand eight, with the with the writers' strike and the actually yeah. then the, this diaspora took place, and now it was something like twenty percent was suddenly happening in Los Angeles, and eighty percent was happening elsewhere. You know, it was weird when I was in my first features. Um, you know, the, whether they'd shoot here or New York or or Canada, we'd always have to fly to L.A. to do the looping. You yeah, know, they'd have to fly us out for class to come and. And I was always, you know, like thug one or thug two, so <laughs> they'd have to give me a first class flight to go out there and like say like six lines. Really, they would do that in a hotel. See, yeah, I would always just do it from whatever weird town I was next filming in. Well, now figure they out have a way to do it from Providence. Here. I mean, you could do it if you if if uh, you know. You I know. can do it in Portland, Maine. Now it's like, yeah, I mean, now in Chicago they have Bam and they have all these other places where you can do the looping. But it used to be they'd fly you all the way out there. You wonder why movies cost so much. For yeah. U.S. Marshals, I had to fly all the way to uh, um, Los Angeles, and they put me up for for two nights in a hotel in Beverly Hills, and uh, and I literally went in there and. and I used to have a sweet gig in working for a, a loop group that would bring me in to replace the locals. Oh, man. Yeah. <laughs> so joy. Sorry. I bet they're happy to see you coming. Yeah. There's a guy who's taking my job. Come on in. <laughs> I tried to do everybody justice. <laughs> I got to play some pretty so, big guys back then. So you, got, you, so you get out to L.A. and you wind up in Mommy Dearest at the age of 23. Four, yeah. 24. Yeah. With... Faye Dunaway and uh, Diana Scarwood, Diana Scarwood yeah. great actor. Faye Dunaway drove her out of the business with that movie. She drove her crazy. Really? Yeah. So I take it Faye was a bit of a diva? She was a piece of work. <laughs> yeah. A piece of work. Yeah. Every hairdresser I've ever worked with, has, has a, because they know I was in Mommy Dear sometimes, they did for years when I still looked like I did then. And they all seemed to have a story about her. You yeah, know. you poor bastard. I worked with Faye Dunaway. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, oh, you wonder how the... she got from uh, that those amazing performances in like Bonnie and Clyde and and Network Chinatown, Chinatown. Yeah. yeah to well, the making of a psychotic uh, is slow in the business. It's <laughs> <laughs> one uh, wonderful opportunity after the next that creates that. What's amazing though is that actors. I, I sometimes know why some of them can be difficult and some of them can be outright assholes. Um, 
Because becoming a well-known enough actor to support yourself, you climb this mountain of broken glass, you know, and when you finally get to a point where you get to make your own decisions, you get to, you know, and you're just being offered roles instead of going and reading for them, there are the the myriad uh, indignities you suffer on the way up. And the weird thing is, is that you never became an asshole. I mean, you're you're still a really lovely guy. It's like, and after 240 film critics um, or film roles, I'm just wondering how'd you do it? Well, I didn't become famous, um, really famous. I, I, my mother, that was one of her strict injunctions to me <clears throat> when I left the East Coast to go west, was warning me about <clears throat> the dangers of fame. Uh, really. Yeah, she, she warned me about two things, like to tell these apocryphal uh, injunctions of hers. She said, well, now, honey, she was Texan, you know money's the only problem if you have too much or too little of it, don't you? <laughs> and I said, well, I'm only acquainted with the latter, mother. I have to, yeah. <laughs> I have yet to experience the former. I'd have to take your, well, you should take my word. You'll find it to be true. Now, and with regard to fame, uh, every... all I will tell you is you just be careful what you ask for, because you may just get it, and then what? Hmm? Then what? And it put the fear of God in my bones. <laughs> and I did I kind of went, oh, well, I had to consider it at 20, yeah, yeah. 23 with all this <clears throat> momentum behind me. And I, interestingly, at times, either deliberately, she programmed my computer in a way that, that in that moment, so that I was either deliberately or unconsciously sabotaging every time I had these opportunities that would have pushed me into that category mm -hmm. of, of real fame. And I went the other way. And I, I, I was always, because in the theater, one of my, my real jam was transformation and altering Absolutely. my appearance, yeah. the way I sounded, the way I looked, so that like, to be in repertory theater was the greatest high of my young acting experience was having an... Uh, a, sub a subscription audience member refused to believe that I was the same guy that that I said I had been yeah. in that previous play because I was so different in this play. That wasn't you. you. No, that was not. You did not play that part. Yes, I did. Yeah, I did. No, no, you didn't. And so that was, that's sort of what I went out to Los Angeles. Like, it, and when I, I had a few huge lead role opportunities right off the bat that because I didn't have any film on me, and I kind of did, rather than being disappointed, the, the, you know, Mommy Dearest was just small, you know, the sun at the end of the film. And then already I was just like, I just wanted to do, like, I knew that they had a different bad guy on every episode of television every week. Yeah. And I already I knew there was a little bit of racial profiling. They didn't want black guys or Latinos to be the bad guy on shows because mm -hmm. was, that wasn't cool. Just them. So, but... To be this the 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 guy that and then and and also uh, when I would get in a room and they would look at me up close, there was an intensity in my eyes that mm -hmm. they hadn't seen on stage at a distance. Mm -hmm. So I wasn't the obvious sweet young thing. Yeah, and uh, <clears throat> there's a little fear of the unknown. If you look like you know something that they don't know, there's something a little intimidating and disturbing and even frightening about it. Yeah. And so it, it was already going in the direction of maybe bad guys. Mm -hmm. um, and the, the drug dealer and Sid and Nancy. I had, well, and, but even before, even to get that was already set up by um, 
and the stagecraft and the makeup skills. I would yeah. go in and I would I would transform. And, and plus, they said, you know, in Los Angeles, it's not like New York. They don't have the imagination. You got to walk in, being and be that, that guy. And yeah. so I would mm -hmm. walk in, and I would seem like I was disturbed. Mm -hmm. I would appear to be deranged, uh, a drug addict. You, you or, know what? Uh, and it, it's echoed in your portrait paintings. It's echoed in just how carefully you look at the human face and how much you know that it changes over time. It reminds me of nothing so much as watching a film on an actor from when they're very young to when they get very old. You know, I was noticing a picture of Ed, uh, Edward Asner, who mm. I met and, and just dearly loved. We met him at Borders. Yeah, yeah. And he was and, just and the sweetest guy in the world. And you to look a little bit like... Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, my my father looked like Ed Asner, you know. Um, <laughs> Isn't he a great guy? So filthy. Yeah. And that, just so um, filthy. I he know. tried to get him to go out for a steak. He was like, hey, me and my son are getting steaks, and if you want a cob, I'm just saying. Yeah, and then, about and then he would take you out to a strip club after yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. No, then about three nights later, we had him on, uh, on the radio, and uh, just a, a marvelous interview, a phenomenal storyteller and a warm, warm guy, you know. And, um, but I kept looking at his face, and that when I first saw your paintings, when I first saw them on the on the page on the computer, it's like, boy, this guy looks and he sees deep, you know. And I, I told Max, I said, you know, uh, the name Xander Berkeley mean anything to you? And he he was kind of wrecking his brain. He knew he he'd heard it. And then I told Rick Kogan we were going to have a show, and he goes, I've seen that guy a hundred times. When I first saw him, I thought I went to high school with him. And it lent so much credence to that idea that you said you wanted to disappear into roles. You wanted to not be recognizable from one to the other. And it's, a, it's an interesting, like all and things. And it's in the paintings, too. You and know? and, and it, it, as you're saying, I'm, I'm realizing there is that the life is not but that, which is fraught with contradiction. It's a word, it's a little sentence that's falling out of my head right now. But uh, everything is filled with contradiction and and I try to bring that into my acting and I it's, it's, I think that um, in a way you can't disappear you have to bring as much of your own truth and your own self into each role but for me an actor's efficacy is somewhat fragile and delicate and it can be worn away mm -hmm. like like a like a if you make copies uh, mm -hmm. of something it's gonna get Absolutely. thinner and yeah. thinner each time and it's gonna become we see it formula happen. or a tr old trope or yeah, yeah we yeah. see the actors that did the same thing over yeah. and over and it doesn't work on us anymore yeah because it's not usually the, after yeah. they get a, usually after yeah. they get oscars you know yeah, it's like it can happen to <laughs> some of our favorites do, yeah those guys who do, do pale imitations of their former selves it's like well but you take somebody like Duvall or somebody who would always bring himself but absolutely. he could do yeah. a completely different guy or Tommy Lee Jones you know or Michael Caine or you know those, but there's there's a, there's a great balance that can be struck between bringing your truth, truth mm -hmm. in, in each moment, mm -hmm. authenticity, but still the specificity of this person in this story. Yeah, you're not telling your story. You're not telling that same story you've already told before. Every story is different. Every human being is different, and so mm -hmm. you've got to really look at the story, the beginning, the middle, and end of this story, and how can I help tell that story mm -hmm. and who would that person be and so then i'm looking at all the people i've studied throughout the course of my life 
and I'm picking up all the the clues about that kind of psychology, that kind and what kind of physical behavior would go with that, and what would they, and and for me, makeup was always in the theater the extension of that, mm -hmm. and I would go my getting into character in the theater was always going an hour at least an hour early and starting to put the makeup on, however subtly. Until so I looked, you've, oh, you've always kind of done your own makeup. I always you? did my own makeup. I wow. got I got hired in the theater when I was young to do everybody else's makeup. Wow! Oh, wow! And and then I would for plays that I wasn't doing. Whenever they had to get two people that looked like twins, or they wanted yeah. somebody to look like Mayor Laguardia, or whatever, I was the guy that they brought in. How, how much did that inform 18, your, your painting? A lot, as uh, well uh, as being. Yeah. I was a mask maker from the time I was a teenager on. So I've been making masks for you, 40 years, and it was the uh, uh, one series of the, yeah we worked on yeah, it. yeah yeah on uh, Methuselah yeah right you know you did something you did something yesterday I've never seen an artist do with a hanging exhibition you're still you're still changing your paintings mm -hmm. he took one off the wall he put it on his lap and our pal Joe Thornhill uh, the marvelous uh, humanist and dentist and lovely guy and music fan he brought me some. Bunch of dental, dental tools. tools so, know, and which, I oh, by the way, I can teach you how to pick a lock with those, too. We'll get to that. <laughs> we'll talk about that. But I think yeah, locks are more advanced now. I don't know. Uh, I got the, my studio door open with one. Okay. Yeah. That reminds me when my cousin Quinn said he could pick our lock, and it took him. He couldn't do it. He had a whole lock. There's a reason thing. he's not a locksmith right now. Yeah, yeah. But, well, um, that's true. But I, but I saw you... Uh, <laughs> The the paintings never kind of sit still or static for you. It's like you can always nothing add in life or does. You know, an hour before the show is open, just walking around with a couple little things of oil paint. We're gonna, you know, yeah. I mean, the true the true meaning of the word vernissage, you know, is finishing touches. And uh, I, I said to him at one point, I said, Xander, you know, the show's gonna open in like an hour. <laughs> you know? He's like, Yeah, I'm still. But I, I love well, one of my I favorite painters, keep... Ruault, uh, is Absolutely. one of my favorite painters yeah. from ever since I was a kid. And, and I, I'd heard some uh, tale about him having knocked on, after t 10 years after having sold a painting, going and knocking on the doors. He's he just one little thing I'd like to, uh, having his kid <laughs> doing, doing a touch up. Yeah. It was I, just I, nagging on him 10 I, years I, later. I, I, I like that. I, I love, yeah, I love the idea that. Uh, for you, the, the you know, I, I can see someday you, you'll have many of these will be in museums, and I can see the 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 old man Xander walking in, <laughs> yeah. pulling it off the wall, yeah. changing well, by a little. Then I think, but I, I mean, there's so much, there's so them. much in these uh, ten and twenty years of well, work. Well, I had the, I mean? this. This is one of the times having the luxury and curse of time because as an actor, I. Um, I, I was always also an artist, and I always drew people from the time of, you know, when I got first got to New York. I, I took buses rather than subways because they didn't move as as fast, mm -hmm. and uh, and I could sit and draw people. And across from me, out of the way or whatever, I looked back. And I, I drew in the subway too, but I, mm -hmm. I just and I, I tried to draw at the speed of life yeah. before people would move, and you didn't caught you know. It's harder I had on to, the subway. It's harder on the subway because yeah. it's moving so fast, but I still did it all the time. And I've, yeah. in fact, one time I had a, a, a Latino kid came over and got furious at me. Like, why are you staring at my family, basically? Why are you staring at my family? So I was just drawing. And I, whenever I get busted, I, I give the drawing up. Yeah, and then he's like, oh, I'm so sorry. So sorry. It's beautiful. Thank you so yeah. much. Thank you so yeah. much. <laughs> and, but 
uh, cafes when I started to have enough money because, you know, in the beginning, it's, I just had to get down to class, you mm-hmm. know, and I'd already paid for that, and I had to pay to get down there, so I'd, I'd take the the bus and uh, take a little longer to leave earlier, and I could draw, and it, uh, just absorbing the impressions of, of people and I, I the relationship of studying people. It's one of the my pieces of advice to young actors is study people everywhere you go because the way they move, the way they hold themselves, the way they the expressions in their face teach you about what it is to be alive as a human being other than yourself. And and then it goes it gets encoded into your your behavior and your understanding of your own humanity. It touches your heart and it's there in you now. And 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 uh you have an excuse if you draw people for why you're you're looking at them. You're, you're not, you know, a, a pariah. Mm. Right, you're, yeah. right. You're an artist. Yeah. and You're not a creepazoid. Yeah, you know? so yeah. this is how I did my, my research in, in cafes. I have, I have maybe 100 books of drawings of people in cafes. There's a marvelous artist. Max has known him since he was a little kid in, in Chicago who does that now. Donald Colley. Yeah, oh, yeah. Donald Colley, yeah. who's... Just a remarkable draftsman, and his whole milieu now is his fellow man. Mm-hmm. Whether it's in cafes or whether it's in he, he sometimes goes around, literally around the world for Faber Castell, you know, showing people what's possible with all the myriad drawing tools. And uh, I'll show you some of his images after the uh, after the podcast. But um, I always thought that. Uh, this would be a great exercise for young actors. You know, take a drawing class, yeah. learn about faces, yeah. learn about yeah, what... It is. And, and then, especially like for me, I chose a lot of the jobs that I did. You know, again, my mother had this idea that I was going to be a diplomat. So I, in order to fulfill her wishes as well... To where? To where, where, where would you be a diplomat? Well, and, and it, Scotland? It, it turned out for me, it was uh, every... I, I did films in Nicaragua, in Chile, mm-hmm. and back-to-back when there was a war going on in Nicaragua, and then when Pinochet was in Chile, one was the extreme left yeah. <laughs> of Daniel Ortega and the, and the Sandinistas, and the other was the right-wing fascist uh, government uh-huh. of Pinochet. And... Uh, so I, I got to experience those extremes from being 30 years old to going later and being in China, being in What did you Bulgaria. make in Chile, if you don't mind me it was a It was a Corman film that a friend of mine was directing, but it just oh, happened right to go on. back to back. It was called uh, La Tierra Sin Ley in, in Spanish, but it was The uh, the Lawless Land. Um, you know, every every marvelous actor or director I've ever talked to has a thread to Roger Corman. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. Jonathan Demme started out working or many. for many. Yeah. 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 yeah, 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 a lot. Yeah, but um, the whether it was China or Bulgaria, when you would go, you would meet with the embassy, um, you know, in, in Get France, your work, paper and, and work permits, and yeah. London, Spain, uh, and the first thing you do is you meet. Uh, and you get invited usually because people want to know the film that's in town. Mm-hmm. So you get invited over to the embassy, and you meet the the deputy ambassador or, mm. or the and young, the young you. diplomat, they feed they you, feed you have you. cocktails. And, and, yeah. I, and I, so I played spooks a lot along the way. And uh-huh. so I was always trying to grok who, who the spies were and like, oh, the UP, you're a UPS guy? I don't think you're a UPS guy. <laughs> <laughs> um, you're not that. Yeah. 
Um, and then you get in conversation, but you become friends with the deputy ambassador or the junior diplomat. Yeah, and, yeah. and you, uh, because I'd always find out where the art star, art supply store was yeah. near the university. A lot of times where the art always, cafe was, right? Always. So I'd go there and I'd already have met. And because that's where the cinephiles are, they'd spot me and recognize me. Excuse me, are you in uh, film? Uh, you, you are in this movie? You film. just, you play this film. In and so, film. so uh, yeah, come to, please come to our cafe because you must meet my friends. And and then by then you've been invited to somebody's house where the where the cinephiles, the poets, the, the painters, yeah, everybody yeah. hangs out. And then uh, you know, so you you know this crowd. The head of the student union is there telling you about what's going on. In the and then so you go, okay, now I've met the junior deputy ambassador or the diplomat, and you you say to them, hey, want to meet down at that stone pizza, uh, the wood fire pizza place that that they have down at that beautiful little old cobblestone place. Yeah. Can we meet there next Friday? Or ne oh, Yeah. When do you get off work? Okay, great. And you get the kid that's head of the student union to meet you there. And you get the two of them together. That would have taken three years of bureaucratic red tape to get through, if it ever happened. Yeah, yeah. And you're getting to do it because you're the film that's in town. And yeah, they want to hang out. We, wow. We kind of had the experience in, in Paris. Um, yeah. Max worked oh, yeah. as an assistant to the director for the second half of my shoot um, for Patriot for season two. And, wow, I mean, just the doors that open up because you're you're part of a film project. Yeah, in, yeah. In yeah. There. You know, I mean, it was just kind of phenomenal. And I got to visit every great museum um, there. And yeah. And a lot of times, if you're uh, if you're not speaking the language, to me, getting back to the art thing, uh, having my art supplies, having good drawing materials, I don't need to talk to a soul all day long. Yeah. I am right. so happy sitting in a cafe drawing people. Yeah, and then I go back to my hotel, and I'll, I'll take, and I'll start to work on a painting based on those drawings, mm -hmm. and I'm in heaven. Just like, for me at home, I always had a studio, even when I had a one, little monk's cell mm -hmm. <laughs> in my twenties, mm -hmm. uh, and it was, you know, just I, it was my kitchen table. I did all those masks for Methuselah, on my kitchen table. And oh wow! The, the whole series, you know, but that's my studio, and. Until I had a big house and I had a big, huge studio in it, it was it was always there, and I, so I never waited for the phone to ring as an actor. I was always yeah. a working artist, absolutely. And whether it was mass making, but and and then as I became a more successful actor, I had the the means by which I could buy materials mm -hmm. and and experiment with, and I didn't have to. Because I was always at the mercy of other people about when and where and how I got to be creative as an actor. Yeah. And I had to deal with all these other personalities that would have an effect on my creativity, <laughs> which mm -hmm. is great. It's a collaborative process. But I wanted all the more to keep my, my yeah. artwork sacred. And it was a sanctuary where I could just be creative entirely mm -hmm. on my own terms. Yeah. And so it was a refuge. And that the quietude and the the solitary mm -hmm. confinement of it was so deeply rewarding in contrast to the collective of mm -hmm. of the creative process as an actor and so i began i, I think I, I saw a show in new york 
and I saw something that triggered an idea way early on about, in, in my mind, if I could take time, that everybody was in a hurry to sort of cheat mm-hmm. in their work um, <clears throat> because they had to show and they had to produce and they wanted a gimmick. There was a lot of gimmicky stuff going on in galleries in New York. I mm-hmm. was like, oh, everybody's oh, yeah. got a fucking Still gimmick. Huh? <laughs> Still everybody's is. Everybody's got a gimmick, and they're trying <laughs> to get away with it, pulling a fucking, yeah, 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 and instead of doing the real work. So I thought, well, as a draftsman, as a, a sculptor and a painter, I want to load it up with a, uh, a kind of history of um, honest-to-God craftsmanship mm-hmm. and not cheat but mm-hmm. loaded up with maybe a hundred paintings in every painting that I would learn That's from every past. That's kind of the feeling I get looking at, at your work. That just this in- they change drastically from beginning to end. Because and they're always in a process of change. And that they're loaded with history and time that you can't lie about. And that, because that's what people are. And, and that's what, for me, uh, my, my older sister is a painter. My father and sister would go off in a museum and look at, pieces and talk about them in a certain way. And I was sort of drawn to these artifacts. A lot of times I'd go sit in a room with a, a, an 800-year-old santo, a, paint, a, a sculpting, yeah. a wooden saint that had 800 years of paint. And it was always, I was like, what does polychrome mean? It was like some term that they had because they didn't know all of the different layers, what was, what was in there. And... Um, but I was fascinated by it. So Mark Critic invented that word. Yeah. But it, <laughs> it, it's like whatever the fuck that is. Oh, you mean paint? <laughs> layers and layers and layers and yeah. layers of paint. Just like I was always fascinated from my earliest travel outside the country to buildings that had an incredible density of yeah. clearly 300 or more years of, yeah. of paint that had been scraped away and mm-hmm. then repainted and but it's just Italy is full of them man yeah yeah and so I wanted to create in a, in a compressed period of time over maybe even over decades what looked like hundreds of years in in a painting well yeah. you've you, you know from this show we know you've succeeded I mean it's uh, yeah. just a remark I, I feel so lucky that we in Chicago got it we got this show first um uh, I'm just knocked out by the portraits. I've spent a lot of time with them. Um, I uh, I think you have a, a, a mature person's advantage in having. Were you saying I'm old, Tony? No, was that no, a mature no, no, person? no, no, no. You, what the fuck you, you saying, you're not. Tony? You're not seduced by any of the kind of idiotic trappings of, of the rewards of creativity. You know, you know that mm-hmm. the the reward is the thing itself, making the work. I read a book in high school that was my, part of my application for getting into college was Zen and the Arts, and it was all about the Western mind. We're so busy racing to the conclusion, the yeah. goal, that we miss the journey. The journey is the yeah. process. The, it's being in love with the process of getting there. Yep. And so from very early on, I've had that old, <clears throat> that that mature, in a way, Realization. I'm so grateful to Alan Watts. I guess was the guy I read in high school that that opened mm-hmm. my blew my mind open to. Well, it's so that. it's so different from like you know <clears throat> the day job where we're on a film and you've only got so much time and you got a finite amount of uh, resources uh, to go get it all done with. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, 
Um, Again, this was the antidote to that, that mm -hmm. rushing and I could take time. Yeah. And, you know, maybe sometimes, and that's why I'm so grateful to you for having given me the opportunity to start showing now. Uh, I, I have shown before. I've been in a couple of these big group uh, shows. Yeah, we, not, tried, not to, we, we shows. tried to find an exhibition history, and I thought, nobody's ever really cleared out the room and just let this guy have, you know, a, a show of what he does. I mean, I was showing him to Max. I, w yeah. I was also, by the way, at some point, I, I really want to show the drawings as well. Because um, I saw some drawings... Uh, there was one of, of 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 a guy that you worked with a charcoal thing, and it's like they kind of they kind of read to me as these are the templates. These are the thing they're going to have twenty thirty years of paint on them down the road someday, you know. And um, some of those I'm able to like. There's that's why I've included in this show uh, a couple. There's one uh, or two that are more premiere attack that are where I'm doing something with uh, it's finished. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and some of these other ones, I had the luxury of time to to spend 10, in some cases 20 years, uh, building up a surface so I could experiment with different mediums and, and everything else. And a study of a person that I've, I've known my whole life, I've given a couple of these away. I've said, okay, I'm done. I've given it to the friend. Uh -huh. um, and... But they're because some of them, like the, the self-portrait, I've gotten older, so I've done mm -hmm. it, and, and, I, and I'm even looking you ahead. Tell you, 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 tell you keep adding to that one. It's yeah, like, even, and you I've keep even getting painted, grayer and whiter and, you know. And I see the direction that the creases in my face are going, so I'll even give it further in that direction. Uh -huh. And and uh, and you haven't done any of the, the Hollywood stuff of getting stuff nipped and tucked? Oh, and, fuck. I'm going to do that to this face. Fuck. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, I, my beautiful wife at uh, is, uh, getting to be a certain age and I'm so grateful that she hasn't done anything because to me that, that would be a shame because that is an absolutely beautiful woman yeah. but look both of us married up we married yeah. women who were way too gorgeous to be married to us yeah well and uh, and she's also a phenomenal actor um when I watched the first season of 24, he loves 24. I don't know if you've, I don't know how many times he's brought up 24 with you, but every time I'm around you guys, he goes, Do you remember on 24 or when? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, it was, you know, first of all, it was an indelible performance and it was yeah. way better than the buggy carrying it, you know, and uh, both you and Sarah. I mean, when she turns, when you realize. She's the. You bad should guy. see her turn in real life. You think that was <laughs> joking? But um, you Not know, the, there's this one dialogue where your character clearly knows he's he's going to die, and he's trying to make some kind of amend or peace with his son and let him know that he's stashed away some money and he wants him to have it, and the son wants nothing to do with him, and it's heartbreaking. I mean, the scene. Luckily, those guys let that scene go on. For all the TikTok in 24, all the let's get to the, you know, they had the good sense to let that scene. And they, the guy who played your young man was marvelous. Well, your son was marvelous, too. And honest to God, it broke my heart. I, I thought, wow, I've seen this actor do tons of stuff, you know, from leaving Las Vegas to... Uh, he to you know I've seen you in lots those and lots of roles. Those were tiny parts. Yeah, those, those were not my big parts. Yeah, but you know what? Every you know what, Sandra? Though every time I saw you, it was like a fingerprint. It's like 
the only person who could do that is this guy. You know, and yeah. I thought, I would really like to be this good someday. This is something to aspire to. And I would always try to get matched to watch 24. And- I watched the second season, actually, which is the season you yeah. take over the plane I for in, Jack. I and you and you an airborne plutonium in the second yeah. episode, which meant my demise was imminent and yeah. inevitable. Right. And you decided to, to take one for the team, I, man. I remember this scene vividly. I also had vividly. to make up for a life misspent because I told them I didn't want to do the show if I had to do what I did in the first season, which was as, as Jack's boss say, yeah. no, well, maybe... But this is the last time. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, but here's and here's also the test. being a uh, just to be a, a prick for the sake of being a prick. Here's and, the test, though. I remember that character's name, George Mason. Mm. You know, and that's a mark of a great performance. You know, I haven't seen that show in eighteen years. And the and mark of a, of a of a well named character based on the name of a of a great university in Washington D.C. Is it really? <laughs> yeah. That's a university. <laughs> George, George, Mason. George Mason University. Yeah. I've and, never and heard they're, of it. A great historical figure. It's not like Georgetown, is it? Is that no? What? But George Mason is, is good school. Um, yeah. But yeah, but I, I just I was knocked out by that performance, and they yeah. didn't. You know, it's not like they gave you all kinds of great shit to say. It's you've made it your own, and and uh, and they were they were smart with that show. They let us. Make things our own too. They, we oh, would, good. Yeah, and, and we did a lot of rewrites on that. You know, there, there are some directors that will let you improvise or let you add mm-hmm. a line or take away a line or something like that, and then there are some who won't. It's like it's, the dialogue's one way specifically written for a reason, and you know, you're not you're not to fuck with yeah, it. Was, it was Always. usually why I, t- I tended to stay, even though there was more money in TV. I tended to stay in the film world because it was a director's medium and the director, the writer was usually not even there anymore. And it oh, was not now. now. It now was, they're on it, set. It was his script. And, uh, yeah, it depends. It goes back and forth, but they're, they're, you know, if it's a great big director, it's his there. It's his baby. He's the auteur at that point mm-hmm. and can determine. And if something's not working, everybody's going to make it work. And, Mm-hmm. You're going to figure out what's going to make it work, and and with television, it was always a committee, and a lot of times there were there was a st- and people had to justify their their being there by virtue of every comma and every syllable that had been printed on the page had been determined by committee over a period of time, and nobody was going to certainly not younger people weren't going to have the right to alter a word of it, and there's still scripts that are like that, and rightfully so, they work perfectly, and you just need to get into the headspace of how to make it work perfectly. And there's a lot of laziness that wants to come in and change something before really, really having taken the time needed to make it work mm-hmm. first. But then um, there's also a lot of just bad writing that needs to be improved. And, and it was great along the way to have those experiences mm-hmm. where people saw that you had a good ear and being a, a good writer was part of being a good actor. And, and mm-hmm. you know, all of, all of, some of the better roles I got to do were because I got to. Yeah, I was very fortunate in that the two seasons of Patriot were so beautifully written. You did not want to change the word. In fact, I would walk up to the script supervisor and I'd say, look, from time to time, a little dyslexia kicks in and I'll transpose a word. If you, if you catch that, please um, alert me. You know, give me a, a heads up and I'll make sure that I... 
uh, change it. And um, I know uh, I know me and Max would uh, show up for work, and one of the real joys of it, I, I, I skipped to work every day on that show because the writing was just so idiosyncratic and very specific, and it was just a joy to do. I mean, it had its own odd poetry about it. Yeah, um, yeah there's shows that are like that, and, yeah. and I'm happy learning those shows verbatim because they really have taken the time and, and it, it's it's as much a joy to learn those scripts verbatim as it is a joy for me on those shows where mm-hmm. they are <clears throat> working more on these the machinations of plot and mm-hmm. less on the 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 particularities of, of vernacular. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And they get that you are good with that and you help mm-hmm. to differentiate this character from that by having your own mm-hmm. and you know the character and and uh you you're good and so very early on I realized that you really have to go about it in the in the right channel or respectful mm-hmm. way and call them up and say, This is I'm having a little bit of trouble getting this one out. Usually if it's not sticking it's for a reason and these are some of the alternatives that I've been working mm-hmm. on, can you give it some consideration? And they, oh yeah, I like that. That's good. That when they hear, we have to be careful because down the line we're going to be going here and or mm-hmm. there, mm-hmm. and that might okay. You know, I guess there's that, always that makes a, sense. the question of continuity. Yeah, you know? and so so you have a, a dialogue, and uh, you either write it up. So okay, write up all that and just tell me those simple. And then they print it into their pages, and it looks like it's their writing. You don't get paid for it. You don't get credit yeah, for it. No. That's fine, but you 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 look well, better as an actor. Of, it's part of being an actor. It's part yeah. of being part of the collaborative process. Right. Um, if Max and I are about to start an indie, and uh, yeah, <laughs> it's a it's a it's a little crime story. Uh, yeah, set, set on Taylor, on Taylor Street, Street which Chicago. was uh, which was an organized crime street for it for years. A, yeah, it was until, an organized crime enclave yeah. throughout the forties, fifties, sixties, and then you know uh, the neighborhood became gentrified, and uh, a lot of it went away to build yeah. the University of Illinois. Chicago. UIC students, yeah, pretty much took it over, and then also just the mob life in general kind of just fell apart. In America, I don't think it was just Taylor Street, right? It's just oh, yeah, like Rico. once the Rico act, yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it's you know Rico, which by the done. way barely holds up to constitutional scrutiny mm. because it's it, a great deal of it is kind of uh, entrapment, but it did do away with what we used to think of as uh, the mafia or organized crime. Um, yeah, uh, and yeah, and now and now there's this question within the within the series that we're about to do. Uh, it's about like pyramid schemes and you know things like uh, like herbal life is sort of is Ponzi sort of the, schemes. Yeah, where it's like, hey, buy these uh, boxes and uh, sell these bottles individually, and you too can be uh, a millionaire like me or whatever. And the whole I basically Amway used to be the big one when we were kids. Yeah. Amway, okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. Out there pimping uh, Amway. Her- That's what herbal people... life took yeah. over after that. I remember, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so it's sort of how that's replaced, uh, you know, organized crime and the mafia, and it sort of asks the question, you know, is that any better? Is that, you know, is it? Could that potentially be worse? I really, I, I don't think it's totally up to me to answer that, but I, I mean, I think it's an interesting question. Um, but I had a, que- I actually had a question. Um, my 
favorite movie, one of my favorite movies, um, and I've been waiting to just kind of bomb you with this, is Terminator 2. This sort of just came up in my mind. You used to do makeup. Did you get to work with Stan Winston? Because yeah. you have a really brutal kill in in the end of that. Yeah, and I, just... I saved it. Well, well they, they, had, uh, they had done a, a mold of my neck. Okay. Uh, and they had given me a blade to practice sword swallowing with for two weeks. Really? No you, way. It's a combination of practical and CGI. Okay. But I saved Stan's neck that day because he had forgotten to take in his calculations uh, into account the kitchen counter as well as the the cabinet. Um, and uh, I'm being pinned to the cabinet. Yeah. But um, when Jim realized that, because they had that thing sticking far enough down my throat, that when they had the, the shorter blade sticking out of the back of my head, that they had to keep it down my throat until they could exactly match the glint on the two to make it look continuous. Okay. Jesus. And... Um, then they wanted to run a tube of milk and a tube of blood down the back and split it at the back. That's right. And I'm, I gag on a toothbrush, so this is fucking driving me nuts. Yeah. But they they wanted me to do that while then having to do a back bend over the kitchen counter. And and Jim Cameron thought that was going to be physically impossible. Right. And so he was just furious at Stan Winston saying, well, thanks. Thanks, Stan. There goes $200,000 out the <laughs> fucking window. Really? Yeah, and I just watched Stan. You just, said that to Stan Winston. Yeah, and and Stan just crumpled and 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 looked so mortified, and I just went, well, Stan, hang, hang on, hang on, let, let let me see if I can't make this work, and so and I, I bailed hay as a kid and I grew up with a twist in my spine. That's a thing, and I had three guys my size standing on my shoulders. It pretty much crushed it at one point, um, so I don't have a great back. Uh, because of that, I'm working on it ever since, and I'm okay now. But uh, it was very tricky to do that back bend for the four hours that it took to get that shot because they also had to take photographs of the entire room because later they're going to be putting that onto yeah. the blade, and they had to be just so because all the reflections had to be just that would include our bodies and everything else in the positions. It went... And all through the night, this this process of being pinned to the cupboard, bent over the counter, oh, and then when they take it out, I slumped down and I had to be like up against the kitchen. I hope the yeah. fuck they paid you well for that. Well, you know they paid me okay, and 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 Jim, <laughs> I, I, I was sort of thinking, <laughs> Jim had the class to send me about a crystal the next day for. There you go. That nice. was, and that you know that, that was nice at the time. That was like I'd never you had that him, right? before. I like him a lot. You know, yeah. uh, he can be a, a brutal taskmaster. There were times when he would get frustrated with the kid, mm -hmm. but he couldn't take it out on the kid for long. Yeah, okay. And he would take it out on me, like because he knew he could. And yeah, right. I was cool with that. Um, I, yeah. thought, I thought that was a good shift. It's a director thing. Yeah. Know? Okay. And, and then I remember a time when he got really furious with the steady cam guy and, and he said, Jim, the thing is jammed. And, and Cameron yanked the camera out of his hands, opens it up, mm -hmm. fucks around with it. Yeah. And it works. Slams right. it back yeah. together. He goes, try it now. And it works. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I go, you know what? If this guy knows your camera better than you do, you he has a right to be pissed trouble. off at yeah. you. He's directing a movie. He's got a job to do. You should know your job. Yeah. So, yeah, I have total respect. He's like a, an intense motherfucker. 
Yeah. <laughs> but you know what? One bad motor here's, scooter. Here's, I'm going to tell one little quick story. Bill Paxton was a buddy of mine from Oh, man. Oh, man. The late great. Yeah. The late great Bill Paxton. I did his very first TV show, and he's another guy that goes back to, uh, you know, I played a German terrorist on a show that he played a, oh, this, the homegrown Oklahoma terrorist. and he had, Oh, wait he, a minute. I think I saw this. No. Um, God, I don't know, man, if you would have seen. What the hell was this? Uh, it was McLean's Law. Yeah. It was a show that was around right after Reagan got elected. Yeah, yeah, about 1981, 82. Yeah. And I'm running a, a, a terrorist ring. Like Basically, I'm Rutger Howard for less money. And, um, <laughs> and so I'm the German terrorist. I have, a, I have a, a, an Iranian Middle Eastern terrorist girlfriend with huge hair. It was the 80s. Trying to act through that 80s hair. You could never get an yeah. eye Um and then there's we have the IRA, you know, we had the IRA yeah. terrorist, and mm-hmm. he's we're all and, and Bill's the, the homegrown. Before there was an Oklahoma bomber, he was the Oklahoma bomber. Oh wow! And he got the part because he'd been working for Corman with Jim Cameron in the art department as prop makers. And, oh my gosh! And he knew how to make a fucking bomb, and he made a bomb and put it in a briefcase, attaché case. When he went to his audition, he only had one line in the whole thing. So he only had one line to say. He goes, man, that's how I got the part. That's how I made this fucking bomb, man. And I put it in this briefcase. I just went in there. Like perfectly I blew, the, I blew their doors off. Look what I did. Look what I did. He showed me, showed me right go, I, I brought in the car. I could show you. Look at this. And he opens it up. And, goes, and they all freaked out. They freaked out. And, 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 I, and, and they, they called my agent up afterwards. You know, I said my line right then. It was perfect. Nailed it. And, uh. Then they all call my agent. You tell him. You tell your client. You don't need, never get. To, you should never do that ever again. He's got the part. But <laughs> who is this but he guy? But goddamn near blew up the room. Oh you know? my god! Oh, and right away he he uh, he's like, "What music are you listening to, man?" Like, here's what I love. And he just like, immediately brought something. Started playing music, and we became pals. It's from so that heartbreaking day on. that he's not with us anymore. He, he yeah. died of the same surgery I had. Yeah, and they, 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 I think they fucked up. I mean, that's, oh, that's man. yeah, and mm. um, what, well, what a great cost to the world. I mean, right. he was well, a marvelous so, actor. Yeah. Here's, here's what I wanted to just say. Obviously, all of this is in tribute to Bill, but um, Cameron, everybody was talking to at the at the uh, um, service for Bill at Universal. There was a big gathering, and and Tom Hanks and and uh, Ron Howard and. Because I was, you know, lucky enough to be involved with Apollo 13 uh-huh. as well. And, right. and uh, they both spoke about having worked with him. And, and Rob Law was a really good friend of Bill that does a, the best Bill impersonation yeah. of anybody on earth and has great stories about him. And all these different people spoke. And Jim Cameron got up and said, Look, um, I don't do funny, I don't do, uh, I don't do emotional. And he proceeded to bring down the house with yeah. these stories about Bill. Like, people were laughing, and then he delivered emotional like nobody else, and everybody was weeping. Yeah. Just weeping at the end of his thing. He loved Bill so much. And and uh, and, and that, that that's a tribute to him, too, because he's always thought of as a great egoist. But he, he th- th- that, uh, that eulogy he gave for Bill was just as egoless and is all about yeah. just brotherhood and friendship and, and the adulation he had for another human being. Wow. And, 
Just want to put that one out there. Yeah. On that yeah. note, sir, you have to promise us that you will come back. I'm back because we are not. <laughs> uh, we are not nearly done with you. We We've, scratched the surface. Uh, like I still am at my, with my pink. Exactly. Right. We, right. we we would like to know you for a long time. Congratulations on a magnificent exhibition. Thank you for having me. It we is really up it. for the next month at the Dime. Kid, take us out. Thank you, Xander. Hey guys, this is Max Fitzpatrick of the Max and Tony Show. We just want to thank you guys for tuning in to our 73rd episode. Sponsored by Forbidden Root Beer. Next time you're in Chicago, check out their brewery on 1746 West Chicago Avenue. And drink their beer. Big shout out to Parkwalk Productions, home of the Max and Tony Show. Chris Bat. Don't forget to check out Adventureland Gallery and the Dime Showroom at 1513 Northwestern. In Adventureland, we have Strong Futures by David Obermeyer. And the dime, we have Xander Berkeley. The great Xander Berkeley. The great Xander Berkeley. And what is the title of that? It's Excavations. Excavations? Okay. I didn't want to butcher that. Uh, We want to catch up on old episodes. Have any burning questions to ask Max or Tony? Go to themaxandtonyshow.com. You're not going to say anything. Okay. (laughs) <laughs> well, I've got this burning sensation. No, I'm kidding. Yeah. Uh, tune in next time for our 74th episode. <laughs> <laughs>